Life is a journey. And in that journey, there are good times and hard times. There are highs and lows. There are joys and sorrows. Life is a journey. And a journey has a destination. And each one of us is heading for a destination. And Psalm 2 describes two paths heading to two destinations. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. It's placed here as an introduction uh, to the whole book of Psalms because the whole Psalter takes us on a journey. And there are times of great joy and gladness. Uh, There are times of frustration and lament. But it all ends in Psalm 150 with a great call to praise. Psalm 1 is the opening psalm for this book. And it shows us the right track for this journey. Because if we're not on the right track, then everything else in the psalms don't really apply to us. The psalms are the prayers of those who are on the path of the righteous, who are seeking to live God's way. And so as we read this psalm, we will see the read the psalms, we will discover the prayers for that path. And as we see this psalm, we will see that God's way is indeed the best way to live. The psalm opens with the words, Blessed is the man. And so the psalm is about the man who is blessed. And of course, this specific man could, could represent anyone, a male or female, who is, who is under God's blessing in this way. But this psalm personifies the, the people under blessing as this individual man, and, and we'll see why later. But being blessed here doesn't mean that this man is always cheerful or ecstatic. It doesn't mean he doesn't go through times of great turmoil or pain. But it does mean that he is happy, he is satisfied, he is content. He's in a good place. He knows that he enjoys God's favor, that God is smiling on him. He is pleased with him. God is treating him positively, like he did the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden, because that's the place where we see what blessing looks like. This man is enjoying the joy of God's blessing. For this man, we see in verse 6, is a righteous man. And as we look at this psalm, we will see three things about this righteous man. We'll see what the righteous man does in in verses 1 and 2, and we've got that on the outline. And we will see that the righteous man keeps away from wickedness, but delights in God's Word. And then we will see that what the righteous one is like now. We will see that he is faithful and prosperous, and we'll see what that means. And then thirdly, we will see what happens to the righteous one in the end. And we will see that he is vindicated on the day of judgment. Then finally, we'll see who the righteous one truly is. And then the call uh, to live in the way of the righteous as well. But we will see that God's way, the way of the righteous, is truly the best way to live. So point 2A on the outline what the righteous one does. And there are two things about the righteous one's behavior in the Psalms. He keeps away from wickedness and he delights in God's word. And we see the separation of wickedness in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now many people have noticed here a progression, isn't it, uh, of getting increasingly comfortable with sin, from walking to standing to sitting. Uh, but that progression actually is seen much more strongly when we look at how uh, the wrong way to live is described. For it starts by accepting the advice and influence of the wrong people, the counsel of the wicked. And then conforming to their behaviors and habits, the, the way of sinners. And then finally to their attitudes which, which ridicule God and His way, the seat of scoffers. But the righteous one keeps away from all these things. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The big influence in his life is not the, the advice, the behavior, or the attitudes of the world. It is instead the Word of God. The righteous man is passionate about God's Word. And we see that in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now the part of God's word that is directly referred to here is the Torah. Uh, the first five books of the Bible, presumably that's the part of the Bible that's written at the time. And the righteous one doesn't just read the Torah, he loves it. He enjoys it, he takes pleasure in it, he delights in it. God's Word is his, his speech to us, it's our connection to Him, and, and the righteous one is passionate about God's Word because, because he's passionate about God. And he meditates on it day and night. Now in the Bible, to meditate is not to empty your mind like in the Eastern religions, it's to, to mull over something, to, to repeat it, usually aloud, sometimes below the breath, sometimes silently, and importantly, to, to think it through. And that is what the righteous does with God's Word. He meditates on it day and night. Not all day, all night, as if he doesn't do anything else, but day and night. In other words, he keeps coming back to it. He wants his life to be saturated with God's Word. For he loves God and he wants his Word to be the guiding influence in his life. And he knows the influence of the world is strong. The world will want to make him listen to its counsel, to walk in its way, and to eventually become a scoffer against God and his Word. And so he purposely, deliberately, and happily builds God's Word into his life. The righteous one keeps away from wickedness, but delights in God's Word. For he knows that living by God's Word is the best way to live. The psalm then paints a very attractive picture of, of what the righteous man is like. And we see that he is fruitful and prosperous. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Now, in Malaysia, we have lots of rain, isn't it? And our trees are always green, right? Uh, but in drier places, that is not necessarily so. And whether or not a, a plant is fruitful, uh, whether its leaves are healthy and green, depends a lot on the weather. And if the rain doesn't come, it doesn't produce fruit at the right time, uh, and, and its leaves wither. But if the tree is planted by streams of water, ah, then no problem, 
because it always has a water supply. It's not dependent on the weather. And the righteous one is like that tree. Since he is soaked by God's word, he's always nourished by it. Because he's always watered with God's word, the fruit he seeks to produce is, is not dependent on the events or the circumstances of the people he's around. In good times and in hard times, he's still flourishing. He's producing the fruit of righteousness in its season. In all that he does, verse 3 continues, he prospers. Another way of saying it, God gives him success. Now, we often get worried when we see the word prosper, uh, because there's these, you know, there's these, old, these false teachers going around who tell us that God wants all Christians to be rich and, and if we're obedient or believing that somehow or other we can tap into God to, to bless us with lots and lots of worldly wealth. And they use the word prosper or prosperity and we know that that is wrong. But that is not what the psalm is talking about here. What is success? What is prosperity? Well, in Israel's context... There was indeed a strong material component to God's blessing because that's where they were up to in salvation history. God's people were a political nation. And God's place was a literal piece of land. And so the expression of God's kingdom, God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule was very material, isn't it? And so God's blessing was expressed in the success of the kingdom of Israel, which is indeed tied to the political and economic success of the nation in the land. But that was a model, a picture, a pointer to the reality that was to come. And that reality, that true kingdom has come in Christ. Uh, that is what the Old Testament model was pointing forward to. And God's people, who are God's people now? We are all those who trust in Jesus. God's place is in Christ as we, as we look forward to the new creation. And we have been given every spiritual blessing in Him. And so kingdom success for us is no longer about economic and political prosperity in the land what is kingdom success well we see the kingdom advancing how as the gospel goes out and that we as we ourselves and others grow in the likeness of Christ and God grants success to the righteous one in kingdom terms in what he does he prospers and that success is not dependent on the circumstances but but on God's faithfulness. The righteous is, is fruitful and prosperous. On the other hand, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, when I was in school, we learned about paddy farming in Standard 4 Geography. I wonder if anyone remembers Standard 4 Geography. You don't remember. I say, you obviously didn't study very hard when you were in school. Uh, um, in Standard 4 Geography, we learn about paddy farming, right? And, and one of the things we learned was that after the harvest, the, the, the farmers would take the harvested paddy and throw it up in the air when it was windy. And then the paddy, that's, the, the bits that got really no rice inside, well, it really got rice, huh? then they'll drop to the ground, right? And the empty husks, they'll be blown away by the wind. Uh, one of our church people from Sarawak told me that they still do that in her village, but they use big fans, right? <laughs> Uh, I don't know how they do it in the massive industrial grain uh, industry nowadays, uh, but in the days of the psalmist, they sorted out the wheat harvest in a, in a very similar way. And the wicked, the psalm says, are like the chaff that the wind drives away. They're mixed in with the righteous at the moment, but eventually they'll be 
separate it from that which is valuable and fruitful. And when does that happen? Well, it happens at the judgment. And the wicked, verse 5, the wicked are like the chaff, the, the, the wicked in verse 5 will not stand in the judgment. No matter how successful and otherwise they seem in worldly terms now, the wicked will not make it past the time of judgment. They will fall. Which brings us to our last point of the three. What happens to the righteous in the end? Well, we're told in verse 6 that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, knowing here is not just knowing about. Right? It's not like you know Vladimir Putin or Winston Churchill or Sun Yat-sen or whoever. Right? The fact that God knows the way of the righteous means that he's paying attention to the righteous one. He's noting what he does and what happens to him. And the fact that God is the just judge and he knows the way of the righteous means that surely he'll be vindicated in the end. He may suffer now, but God sees and God knows. And in the end, he'll be shown to be right. God knows. You, you can trust God with that. The righteous one will not perish in the end. On the other hand, the way of the wicked shall perish. Uh, the way of the bad influence, which leads to bad behavior, and finally a bad attitude toward God, leads in the end to perishing. The psalm warns us that it is the way of death. And the folly is even more clear when we look at it from the perspective of the New Testament. Remember John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, to perish in the New Testament is the opposite of having eternal life. The way of the wicked leads to hell itself. And where does the way of the righteous end up? Now we go back to verse 5 to see where the wicked do not go. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. We've seen that. So they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. So where do the righteous end up after the judgment? In the congregation. In the gathering. In the assembly of God's people. The righteous remain with God's people. And we see this even more clearly when we come to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, we see that after the resurrection of the dead, we've just done this in the book of Revelation, after the resurrection of the dead, after the final judgment, what is there? There is the dwelling of God with His people. And His people are those who are from every tribe and language and nation enjoying His presence and glory together forever. That is the congregation, the final gathering of those who truly belong to God. And that is where the righteous one ends up in the end. So what have we seen so far? Well, firstly, we have seen that the, the righteous one keeps away from wickedness, but delights in God's word. Secondly, we've seen the righteous one is faithful and prosperous in, in kingdom terms. And thirdly, we've seen that the righteous one is vindicated on the day of judgment, and takes his place in the assembly of God's people. So let's now ask the question, who is this righteous one? Who is the righteous one? As we look at the Old Testament, 
we see God calling His people over and over again to live the way of the righteous one. Israel was meant to walk that way, and they were meant to be led by a king who would, who, who, who would lead them in that way. And so many years before the monarchy was actually set up, God anticipated its coming, and through Moses, He gave instructions about how the king should live, and at the end of Deuteronomy 17, the king says he should get a copy of the law made, and he should read it all the days of his life, and be careful to obey. And then in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, Joshua is going to take over from Moses and God says this to him, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Do you see the similarity with this psalm? But you know, by and large, the kings of Israel didn't do this. Oh, kings like David loved God's word. He was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? But most kings didn't. They neglected God's word. They took their advice from the wicked. They followed them in their evil and ended up scoffing against God. And the nation followed their kings. And they failed to be successful as an expression of God's kingdom. And when the day came for God to judge them, they perished as a nation. And yet the Advent hope was that one day, God would send them a king. A king who would truly walk in the way of the righteous. A king who would truly exemplify this righteous one. A king who would truly lead them in the way of the righteous. And at the first Christmas, Jesus came. And Jesus was the only perfectly righteous one who ever lived. And he was truly blessed. Throughout his life, he knew that he enjoyed God's favor, that the Father was smiling on him and pleased with him. This is my son whom I love, in whom in him I am well pleased. And Jesus always kept himself away from wickedness. There was no sin in him. He truly delighted in God's law. He loved to obey his Father's will. And he did so from the heart, not like the Pharisees who just did it superficially. He soaked himself in it, for we know he used it proficiently to teach his disciples, to answer his enemies, to, to, to defeat his tempter. And his communion with the Father and his godly behavior were not dependent on the circumstances. He carried on faithfully when the crowds thronged to him, when they deserted him, even when they demanded his death. His strength is not drawn from them, but, but from God's word. And he was successful in carrying out the kingdom work he was given to do. Oh, in human terms, he was an abject failure, wasn't he? Followers ran away, left with nothing, strung up on a cross to die. But in kingdom terms, he was a success. Because he completed the mission the Father gave him. To live the perfect life. To die for our sins and our place on the cross. He went through that, did it wonderfully. And he took the judgment on the cross on our behalf. And you know what? God vindicated him in the end. The Father really did know the way of the righteous one. And he raised him from the dead 
The first of all who will be in that congregation of the righteous. Who is this righteous one? Well, the one who perfectly fits the bill is Jesus. And what about us? Well, the New Testament teaches that those who belong to Jesus, those who trust in Him, are are considered by God as righteous as well. Uh, That is because we are united with Him spiritually by faith. And united with Jesus, He has taken our sins and paid for them on the cross, and and we share His, His perfect righteousness. And so we clear the judgment and wind up in the congregation of God's people in the end because of Him. Jesus is the righteous one. Those who are in Him are righteous in Him. We are blessed. We enjoy God's favor. The Father is smiling on us because in Christ, God is pleased with us. Jesus is the truly righteous one and He shares His righteousness with us. But Jesus didn't just come to live the perfect life for us and die for us and share His righteousness with us. He came to be our King. And King Jesus came to lead us, His people, in the way of righteousness. And those who truly are His people will indeed follow Him in this righteous way. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is about. Jesus calls us as his disciples to walk the path of the righteous. And so in our last point, we consider how we, following Jesus, walk in this way. And how do we do that? We keep away from wickedness and delight in God's word. Keep away from wickedness and delight in God's word. Because that is what the righteous one does, isn't he? Falling into wickedness is a danger. You start by by listening to the advice of the ungodly. And then we start behaving in ungodly ways. And then, to justify ourselves, we end up scoffing at God and His ways. And then, perish in the end. Beware the danger. And if you see yourself anywhere along this path of danger, then then take heed and turn back. Look to Jesus and find forgiveness in His righteousness. And follow this righteous one by, by keeping away from wickedness. And follow this righteous one by delighting in God's Word. Reflect on it, read it, memorize it, recite it day and night. Let your mind be renewed by this word so that your way of thinking is constantly being challenged and corrected by the word. There's so much out there, isn't there, that will seek to influence us to, to walk in the ways of the world. But if we fill our minds with God's word, that will help us to keep the right perspective on things. How do we go about doing that? Well, so many different ways. Just throw you a few suggestions. Nothing beats simply reading the Bible, does it? Or you may want to choose a book of the Bible and, and read it slowly, chapter at a time. Or read it in large chunks, not stopping to, to if anything you don't understand, just keep growing. Just keep on going, just get the big idea, big picture, and just keep on asking, what do we see about God's character here that I can love Him more? You can read it in hard copy, you can, you can read it on your phone. Uh, you can even get editions where your smartphone or your iPad will read it for you. 
But read it for you means you're listening, lah. Not put it there and read it, go, ah. Read the Bible. We've put our sermons online. Why not listen to the Sunday sermon again? It's halfway through the week. Remind you and 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 and, uh, and solidify what you've what you've learned. Or or choose a different one uh, and listen into it as you drive or as you ride the LRT. Uh, last Sunday, I sent an email to everyone on our cathedral email list with a link to uh, devotional readings for Advent. If you don't have a daily Bible reading system already, then well, this might be a good place to start. How about joining a growth group uh, to study the Bible for yourself together with others and then work out the applications together? Uh, if you want some help finding one, just ask one of the leaders or, or fill out a blue card and drop it in the, in the, uh, in the brown box and, and someone from the pastoral team or one of our leaders will try and help you find one. And if you can't do it now, how about ordering your life for 2016 so that you can? Or how about decide now to do a, one of the Bible courses on Tuesday night training uh, in, when it starts again in February? A Bible overview would be a really good place to start. On the other hand, for some people, the next step might be to go and visit Jessica in the book corner and make sure you've got a Bible to take home in a, in a clear, readable translation. And then begin to read it. If that's you, maybe what you can do is get one of those little 555 booklets Right? And you make notes. You read. You don't. You start with start with Mark's Gospel or something like that. And then as you read, you don't understand anything. You just put it in the five or five booklet. And then when you come to church next Sunday, look for one of the uh, one of the more mature Christians. Uh, and then you ask lah, uh, how, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Right? Whereas you have tea or coffee, just ask. Ask. And if they don't know, that's okay. Ask. Who do I ask? And they'll point to somebody. Right? Wouldn't it be great if we're all thinking about the Bible and helping each other uh, over morning tea? Uh, you might commit sections of the Bible to memory. Now take a passage and, and really work over it, repeating it over and again, thinking about it, working on it, how to apply it. You could start with this very psalm. But whatever you do, delight in God's Word because you delight in Him. Last Saturday, not yesterday, but a week before, uh, we had a graduation for those people who have, uh, who have completed various levels of the equipped courses and they were given their certificates. And, and many people gave their testimonies about how God had used these courses to, to change them. And, and one lady said something like this. She said, I did the Bible overview course because I had all the pearls, but I wanted the string to, to hold them together. I got that, she said, and more importantly, I met the maker of the chain. Isn't that wonderful? Friends, Delight in God's Word because you delight in Him. For God's Word reveals His Son who perfectly reveals Him. And as you see Jesus in all the Scriptures, you'll delight in Him. You'll find your joy in the Word of the Gospel, the wonderful news that the Son of God loved you and gave Himself for you and rose again as your King. You will revel in the forgiveness that is won for you and, your, and rejoice that you are counted righteous in Him. You will celebrate the fact that you are now one of God's children, that Spirit dwells within you and that you are heading for glory. You will love Him because He first loves you. And if you love Him, then you will listen to His Word and seek to walk in His path. Live this way, then you will be fruitful and successful in kingdom terms, now. That is, God will use you for His glory and change you to be more like Christ. 
And on the day of judgment, you'll be vindicated by his grace and end up with all God's people in the congregation of the righteous forever. For brothers and sisters, God's way is indeed the best way to live. Let's pray together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is the, the truly blessed one, the righteous one, the one who always kept away from wickedness and, and delighted in your word. Thank you for giving him success in his kingdom mission to save us. Thank you for vindicating him by raising him from the dead to be the first in the assembly of your faithful people. Thank you that you have declared us to be righteous in him. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as his disciples, we, we would indeed walk in his paths. That we may follow him on the way of righteousness. That we may be people who keep ourselves from wickedness. Who love your word because we love you. Please forgive us for where we have failed to live this way and bring us back to this path of life. And by your grace, may we, with all your people, be part of the great assembly on that last day, the congregation of the righteous. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.